Section three of China, Japan, and the Islands of the Pacific. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sonia. The World's Story, Volume One China, Japan, and the Islands of the Pacific. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section three. Introduction did you ever stop to consider how the average person becomes acquainted with the history of his own land few people even among the most patriotic have ever read a full and complete work on the story of their country but yet in some mysterious way they have acquired a working knowledge of its annals something of this they gain in even the elementary schools of course but such knowledge of facts is quite a different matter from the feeling of friendly familiarity of being at home in the chronicles of our motherland that comes to most of us in greater or less degree this is our birthright we gain possession of it less by studying than simply by living among our own people we hear legends a blood-curdling narrative of an escape from the indian tomahawk the story of the diary of marie antoinette the tale of the hiding away of some priest or cavalier the tradition of bishop hatto and his tower we read here and there an anecdote of wellington or peter the great or hideyoshi we hear stories of the recent wars from the lips of veterans the relief of lucknow tells us something of the indian mutiny john brown's body of the american civil war the charge of the light brigade of the crimi byron's eve of waterloo of the fall of napoleon the idols of the king gives us a living king arthur the earl of rochester's epitaph on charles the second is an exceedingly good characterization of the merry monarch there are hohenlinden and the battle of the baltic indeed there is no end to the poems that bring the past before us in glowing colors the daily papers are full of phrases that originated in some historical event england expects every man to do his duty forty centuries are looking down upon you prairie schooners forty-niners the cat and mouse law the vicar of bray all these arose from some episode in history proper names too are wonderfully suggestive why is there a ponce de leon hotel in florida how did whitehall street and trafalgar square and west indies alexandria constantinople alhambra pittsburgh the theatre of pompey and the avenue de neuilly get their names there are monuments that are history condensed there is a lion at lucerne horses at st mark's there is a lofty shaft on bunker hill a statue of william penn on the top of the city hall of philadelphia there are monuments to wolfe and montcalm to brock frontenac and champlain to washington sir harry vane joan of arc alfred the great wellington richard the lion-hearted indeed we can hardly walk a mile in any city without reading in statue or column or name of street or square or building some chapter in local history our most familiar pictures are historical who does not know the princes in the tower charlotte corday the return of the mayflower queen victoria ascending the steps of the throne napoleon on the bellerophon the death of nelson alfred in the herdsman's cottage so it is in these and a hundred similar ways of which we take little account 
that the history of our homeland comes to us such knowledge is necessarily incomplete and somewhat fragmentary we do not know the exact latitude and longitude of the spot where the constitution encountered the guerriere perhaps we have even forgotten the year when the famous battle took place but we are reasonably sure to remember that the familiar name of the first mentioned vessel was old ironsides and that holmes wrote a poem with that title unconsciously we join our bits of information together and when we read even the barest outline of our country's history then no matter what our homeland may be we are sure to find these stories and pictures and songs these memories of statues and streets and monuments and names and phrases thronging into our minds and taking their proper places in its chronicles the brief and uninteresting annals throb with interest in proportion as we are able to put something of our own between the lines they become our story and by the aid of a gleam of imagination it is almost the record of our own experiences this is the natural method of learning history it is the way in which we become acquainted with our friends it is the way in which we form for ourselves the image of any person or place that we have not seen if we would form a mental likeness of queen elizabeth for instance we must bring together her genuine devotion to england her ability to choose great ministers her vanity temper love of magnificence and gorgeousness her neglected girlhood her delight in flattery her deceitfulness and her political sagacity these traits and many others come to our minds one by one and with the coming of each we gain a new idea of her character and finally form a mental image of a woman of such traits and such peculiarities but we have only one mother country only one life in which to grow up into the knowledge and history of a land to learn as children her monuments and streets and her memorial phrases to gaze upon her relics to hear from the lips of her people the tales of events within their own recollection our knowledge of other lands must come chiefly through books macaulay says the effect of historical reading is analogous in many respects to that produced by foreign travel the student like the tourist is transported into a new state of society he sees new fashions he hears new modes of expression his mind is enlarged by contemplating the wide diversities of laws of morals and of manners by diligent study one may of course learn the history of a country but is it possible to acquire in some degree the feeling of easy familiarity with the story of a foreign land which we have with that of our own and what means shall we employ in the attempt first of all we may make use of the great historical paintings of the world each one flashing a light upon some chapter of the past in jerome's pollice verso for instance the scene is in the Colosseum, where the victor stands with sword in hand and foot upon the breast of his conquered adversary the galleries are gorgeous with carvings tapestry brilliant costumes beautiful women and gallant men some of the spectators are a little bored by the familiarity of the entertainment some care for nothing but the display of their own charms the centre of interest is that portion of the gallery which is occupied by the vestal virgins women whose office of honour and sanctity is the care of the worship of vesta the goddess of the burning hearth of the love the quiet the purity of the ideal home 
they are robed in significant white the richest of tapestries hang over the rail before them the wishes of these virgins are so respected that upon their will really depends the life or death of the man who lies under the mailed heel of the victor the conqueror stands gazing upward for their decision the crowds beyond the royal seats peer around to see what it shall be and the venerated women stretch out their beautifully moulded arms and with thumbs pointing downward pollice verso demand the slaughter of the man whose upraised hand pleads for mercy this is an impressive picture of a thrilling moment it is also a chapter in history here we read the bravery and fearlessness of the romans their inherited respect for the servants of the gods their self-restraint and obedience to the law even in the excitement of a moral struggle and their attainments in the arts and in appreciation of luxury and magnificence but there is another side to the picture here is also the roman cruelty the roman obliviousness to the sufferings of others there are smiles and jesting there is curiosity to learn the wishes of the virgins but there is nowhere a gleam of pity for the man who lies writhing in agony here are indicated long periods of history the history of a warlike unfeeling conquering race obedient to law and of great wealth and material progress one may even glance onward from the moment of the picture and prophesy that a nation whose fetish is law rather than justice and mercy cannot long rule the world companion to this is the last token by gabriel max here is again a bit of the arena but now a young girl a christian martyr is the roman victim she stands among savage leopards and hyenas ready to spring upon her she knows her fate and asks no mercy but far up in the seats above some loving friend has dropped at her feet a rose the last token and with one hand on the wall to balance her swaying steps she forgets for the instant the death that lies before her and gazes upward to the face of the friend whose love will help her to meet the horrors of the next moment here too is history and also prophecy a new element has entered into roman life spiritual courage rather than physical is winning admiration the leaven of sympathy for pain and suffering is working in the pitiless roman character this too is not only a vivid painting but a chapter of history there is a vast amount of history in songs and poems he who writes the songs of a nation rules the nation is an old saying but is it not nearer the truth to say that the song is the heart of the people their wishes and their resolutions the thoughts of the many put into the words of the one such songs as the watch on the rhine the marseillaise god save the king my country tis of thee man of harler hale's marching song of stark's men burns bruce at bannockburn browning's song of the cavaliers do not portray events but they do arouse the spirit which brought them into being and thus by a most delicate but most irresistible method they teach history by bringing us into the spirit of the circumstances which inspired their writers the more descriptive poems such as chevy chase macaulay's battle of naseby scott's bonnie dundee the star-spangled banner drayton's agincourt byron's destruction of sennacherib macaulay's horatius at the bridge 
may not indeed have the minute and mechanical accuracy of a photograph but they vivify the action they so arouse the imagination that we almost feel ourselves a part of the event this too is history and it is in reality far nearer original sources than some of the contemporary and uninspired accounts accurate in every detail though they be which form the body to perfection but forget to add the spirit historical paintings and poems however are limited in number not every episode in the history of a country appeals to the painter neither does it to the poet but the story-teller is ever at hand if a tale is worth narrating there is always someone eager to tell it usually there are many and we may choose among numerous versions the well-written historical story whether it stands alone or whether it comes from the heart of some ponderous publication of many volumes takes time to linger to describe to picture to trace the details that make for vividness that give a conviction of truth it is to narrative then that we must turn for our most unfailing help in trying to win familiarity with the chronicles of other countries we must search not only for thrilling tales of battles and conspicuous deeds of heroism but for the simple annals of the masses of the people moreover what were looked upon at the time of their occurrence as important events are not invariably those which time has proved to be of the utmost significance in the middle of the fifteenth century the coronation of frederick the third at rome would have seemed of far more significance than the fact that an unknown workman should be experimenting in an obscure little shop on an invention which must have struck the copyists of the monastery book-rooms as trivial and unnecessary nevertheless the occupation of the copyist is long since vanished and no one remembers much about frederick the third but gutenberg's printing has revolutionized the world but the history of a country is by no means made up of events even such important ones as the invention of printing what people thought of the occurrences of their own day is always interesting and does much to bring us into the spirit of the times in which they lived stray sentences from letters are pictures and chapters of history together after cabot returned to england from his discoveries in america the venetian ambassador wrote home honors are heaped upon cabot he is called grand admiral he is dressed in silk and the english run after him like madmen could anything make one feel more like a spectator than this one sentence with its slight disdain of the english enthusiasm and possibly a bit of patriotic jealousy of the fortunate country under whose auspices cabot had set sail there are two classes of historical narrations both of which may well find a place in conveying knowledge of the past they may either be made up of facts alone or they may cast about those facts that richness and glow of the imagination which make yesterday seem like to-day the first class of stories may indeed hardly differ from an account or description save that they as far as possible tell the tale of some distinct episode and have a definite beginning middle and end both must be interesting vivid and correct both must be true to the known facts but the second has the opportunity to picture not only a special event but also the human feelings circling around that event and therefore may be true in a wider sense than the first for instance the heroine of Curvades, the beautiful ligia 
never existed neither did her gigantic protector the powerful ursus but both are drawn in accordance with what such persons were likely to be in those times their pathetic experiences and thrilling adventures are such things as did occur therefore this portrayal is as true as a list of dates but it is broadly humanly true it is history but it is history made vivid by the author's dramatic presentation and skilful drawing of character even in folklore and fable there is truth in plenty and no history can safely overlook them and the facts that they suggest emerson says the beautiful fables of the greeks are universal verities the fairy tales of the little brown gnomes of england for instance who hid themselves in holes by day and who were in constant dread of the touch of iron may well suggest the men of the stone age and their fear of those who had learned to work in metals the truth of this sort of story rests less upon what it tells than upon what it indicates for instance it is quite possible that king arthur never had a round table perhaps there never was any king arthur but the tales of his prowess and that of his knights indicate faithfully the stubborn resistance of the britons to the conquering saxons in like manner it may well be that there never was any living tangible robin hood but the legends of his seizing from the rich and bestowing upon the poor typify the restlessness of his supposed times and the vague feeling of the masses of the people that he who possessed a shilling was necessarily the oppressor of him who possessed none the impossible exploits of the cid are not in themselves facts but they make vivid in most picturesque fashion the sort of man who was a hero to the spaniards of the eleventh century history takes all knowledge to be its province the physical geography of a country is an important part of its story that of greece for example was such as to shut in by ranges of mountains little groups of people each in its separate valley and forbid the ease of intercourse that would have made for a lasting union among them in latium on the other hand the clustering together of some hills of moderate height made possible the powerful roman state the manners and customs of a people are a part of its history and so are their pleasures even the sports and games of their children the homes of the people their physical skill which manages a kayak or their intellectual ability which controls an ocean liner their inventions and discoveries their ideals of greatness all these are parts of the history of a nation it is with such thoughts in mind that these volumes of the world's story have been compiled he who reads them may wander from country to country purely for amusement as a luxurious traveller might do he may make a study of his reading and compare the customs the heroes the achievements and the ideals of the various lands or he may if he will take these for a starting point and strike out roads of his own through the spacious realms of the story of the world which to him who will but read it aright is forever old and yet forever new eva march tappan end of section three this recording is in the public domain